Men die of the diseases which they have studied most. It's as if the morbid condition was an evil creature which, when it found itself closely hunted, flew at the throat of its pursuer. If you worry the microbes too much, they may worry you. This is a quote by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, um, who actually ended up contracting a disease known as malaria during a voyage uh, around West Africa, and um, is kind of an intro to today's session. Welcome to the Preclerkship Podcast. My name is Elise, and I'm joined by Sarah McNitt today. Sarah, thanks for joining me. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so I'm really excited. Um, today's episode, we're going to be talking about um, the PhD program, or the DO-PhD program here at MSUCOM, Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine, which we lovingly call COM or COM because it's a lot easier, <laughs> um, and also your research, um, which I think is very particularly interesting. But first, um, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us your name, age, hometown, where did you go for undergrad, and what did you study there? Definitely. So again, my name is Sarah McNitt. I'm, I'm 24 years old. As for hometown, um, my family was pretty nomadic, so we moved around a lot, but I did my undergraduate degree at St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri, and that was in biochemistry. Awesome. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that your family is nomadic. Your research is on malaria, mm -hmm. and so that requires you to um, go to Africa. Definitely. And we, I think that we have a really cool program. I'll ask you about this a little bit later, but we have a really cool program at COM where students can actually go rotate um, in Malawi, and mm -hmm. you've been there yourself as well. I think that as I was younger, traveling around and moving a lot kind of helped um, set me up for a research position that requires a lot of traveling. That's awesome. It's a really cool program and um, excited to hear more about it. So let's back up a little bit. I'd like to begin every, uh, this is only the second episode of the podcast, but I'd like to begin every episode with a fun medical fact. Sarah, do you have any uh, fun medical facts for us? Um, I guess since our, our topic today is malaria, um, I guess one interesting fun fact from it, uh, Alexander the Great, was uh, suppo he supposedly died of malaria. Um, we're not entirely sure about that. It could have been uh, typhoid or poisoning, but um, the general consensus is that it, it was probably malaria. So uh, that's interesting. interesting. Yeah. The course of history determined by this tiny <laughs> invisible parasite. Exactly. So when did you decide that you wanted to be a doctor? Uh, so it's kind of, a long story, um, but basically we had a really good friend of the family who was from Zambia, Africa, and uh, whenever he was in town, whenever he came to the States, he would always visit my family, we would go out for dinners, um, and he was just, he was, he was a very good friend of ours. And I remember when I was 15 years old, getting a phone call, well my mom was the one that got the phone call, uh, that he was in the hospital and that he had gone into a coma and that they had decided that the causative agent was malaria, which is it's unusual for adults to go into comas because of malaria. But anyway, he, he ended up he ended up being fine. But that was the first time that something, uh, you know, a disease that was so far away or so far like I was so detached from like we never hear about that here in the in the US. 
So that was the first time that something like that malaria actually kind of hit home and it was like, oh, what, what is this? Like, what is, what is this caused by and how, how does this, you know, disease progress? And so I just kind of jumped on the computer and started doing some research and I was like, you know, this is really, really interesting and, you know, there's a lot that we know about it, but there's a lot that we don't know about it. And that's kind of what sparked an interest in malaria, I guess. Um, and then just, you know, fast forward, uh, you know, five years or so into when I was doing my undergrad and I um, was working at uh, St. Louis University. Um, I was looking for a research opportunity and I stumbled across the Center for World Health and Medicine. And basically they, uh, they had a project um, at the time that was working on developing anti-malarial agents. Um, because, you know, developing resistance is a huge problem in a lot of countries. So, uh, so yeah, so that was the project that I jumped on and one thing kind of led to another. Um, you know, I've always kind of been interested in, in clinical medicine as well, um, becoming a doctor really. I know it's so cliche, the whole no. helping, <laughs> helping, I want to help other people, but I mean, it, it, it's really, it's something that I really wanted to do and the more I shadowed and the more I saw, um, physicians in practice, I, the more I decided that I really wanted to do that too. So I was kind of caught between two worlds, one world of research, one of clinical medicine, and I was like, huh, if, if only there was a way to combine these. And then I heard about MD-PhD programs, and then that led me to the DO-PhD program, and it's another story in and of itself, but kind of leads started. Yeah, it kind of leads to our next question that I was, I was wondering why MSU-COM in particular? Definitely. So, I mean, along with that story, I was, I, I was really interested in malaria research. Um, but I had shadowed a number of physicians, MDs, and then as well as DOs. Uh, I had a family friend that was like, oh, you should sh shadow our doctor. You know, she's, she's a DO. And I was like, oh, what is this DO thing? So, uh, so I shadowed her and I just absolutely fell in love with the way that she treated her patients. She had whiteboards in every one of her rooms and she would sit down with her patients and she'd take out a, a dry erase marker and she would draw out, you know, things or kind of teach them about what's going on in their body and why it is that they're experiencing these symptoms. And, you know, when they, when their patients left, they had a better sense of, um, of what was wrong and what they could do to help that. Uh, she also really approached her patients' disease for more from like a holistic perspective and would talk a lot about diet and exercise and, you know, what is your lifestyle like? What is your stress levels like? What other things could be causing your symptoms and stuff? So I really, I really appreciated the way that she treated her patients. And so that's kind of what led me to think, oh, I wonder, but I'd, I already made up my mind by that point. I was going to do an MD-PhD program because I wanted to do research. Then I was like, oh, I wonder if there's such a thing as a DO-PhD program. So I got online, I did some Googling, and I found that there's like, I can't remember how many, this seven, eight, nine, something like that uh, number of programs in, in the U.S. So not really that many. Um, and then I kind of started at first I was like, okay, okay, maybe, maybe these will work. But then I started getting a little bit sad because as I was going through, I was having to like mark them off one by one for one reason or another. I'm like, oh, this one research isn't exactly what I'm interested in. This one requires the GRE, you know, so I was having to mark them off. And then I got to MSU and I found that their program is by far the largest. We just crossed like, I think 50 students in the program, oh, wow. which is really big for a dual degree program. Um, and so it's, it's well-funded 
And uh, they had, I guess the main selling point for me was when I found out that they have a quote unquote malaria team. And they, uh, Terry Taylor, Dr. Seidel, Dr. Ned Walker, and others are uh, among a number of professors who conduct research on various aspects of malaria. And most of that research is done in Malawi, Africa. And so that just like completely sold me on the program and uh, thought it was a great fit. So it was my first choice and it was the first one that I got into. So it was an easy yes. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm happy and I'm sure everyone in our class is very happy that you came to COM. <laughs> um, I've noticed, it's kind of funny, I remember being at orientation and they're like, yeah, and then our DO PhD program, they're going to be here for like eight years and then they go on and do their <laughs> clerkship, which is the, you know, the hospital rotations that we all do after two years of classes. And I was kind of like, man, who in their right ma mind is going to take on that much work? It's like, you're getting a DO already and then you're going to get a PhD on top of that. Like, these are some <laughs> really smart students. <laughs> Um, or crazy. <laughs> well, like who in their right mind is gonna do that? But actually, like I found that like I love the DO PhD students. You guys are like probably the most down to earth people in our whole class, and I love that. And I'm like, how do they manage to like do all of our coursework for med school, and then on top of that, like do research, and then you guys are like always like cooking and like you know going on little day trips to like Ann Arbor or Detroit, or, like having fun times. I'm like, you guys are really impressive. <laughs> they they've got it down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the art of multitasking. <laughs> no, I, yeah. So how many, um, so tell me exactly like what is the, I guess, progression. So what does your program entail? So we do, as DO students, um, we do two years of pre-clerkship, which is classes um, at our home campus, which is either East Lansing, Detroit, or Macomb. And then we go on to a base hospital, which is two years of clinical rotations. What do you guys do? Uh, our program is um, set up similarly, but of course we integrate work from the PhD years. Uh, so right now they're tr um, we're trying to kind of combine them as much as we can. So the first year is basically PhD classes and lab rotations. So we, we spend that time figuring out what it is, what PhD project it is that we want to work on, whose lab are we going to be in, do the personalities fit, and um, just establishing that. So we go through a number of rotations and figure all of that out. And then after that year, we have the next two years are the DO years. Um, and during that time, we're also supposed to, supposed to spend some time in the lab as well as uh, doing the classes and, and keeping up with that. So that can be a little bit challenging, um, but it's, it's manageable and the program is really well organized so they make sure that it's, it's possible and um, not, too, not too much of a juggle, juggling act. <laughs> um, so, and then after those two years, uh, the first two years of DO school, um, so we're at year three or whatever. So at the end of year three, we take our boards and then after boards, we dive straight into research. Um, there are a few kind of, I don't want to say electives, but they're um, sort of clinical rotations that we do uh, once or twice a week just to kind of like keep our foot in the door, medically speaking. Uh, so we go to a hospital or a clinic um, and shadow or, or um, and take histories and keep up with uh, clinical work as well as uh, finishing up and wrapping up with research. Um, so depending on how long the PhD takes, usually somewhere from three-ish, usually about three years uh, to complete, 
Three years for a PhD, wow. That's impressive. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> That's amazing. That's like record time, I feel like. Yeah, no, it is. Well, I mean, we've already got the first first year of classes and, and a little bit of preliminary research done, mm-hmm. and then plus the work that were done that was done during those two years of DO school. Um, so you've got a little bit of a background already, so that kind of helps to speed pro- the speed the process a little bit. Um, but yeah, but then after defending, then uh, we finish up the last two clinical years uh, with rotations and then graduate. Hopefully before we have gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got to go on a residency and all that. Yes. Um, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> and we all admire you guys so much. And uh, yeah, I kind of touched on you guys have to do a lot more than your average medical student. Um, what is like the worst part about med school (laughs) kind of a negative question but what's what's been kind of difficult and surprising for you guys or you in particular i don't honestly it hasn't so we've gotten a lot of support from from classmates and stuff and uh, msu com is as a school or at least east lansing campus is very uh collaborative and i feel like the class helps each other you know we help each other out a lot so whether it's um, you know notes that are um, or like outlines of things that are posted on Facebook or um, Quizlet flashcards or things that people share, like it makes a huge difference. And so utilizing those resources has definitely made things a lot easier. Um, but yeah, I think the hardest thing is honestly just kind of trying to keep up with the course load um, and not like let it overwhelm you while kind of staying on top of research things as well. So what's the best part of med school? <laughs> the classmates, definitely. Um, like I said, everybody's super friendly and very collaborative. And I don't know if it's just our class, but a lot of the second years are the same way. So I feel like MSU kind of fosters a collaborative and less competitive environment where we want to help each other learn and not cut each other down, you know? Yeah, I've definitely heard that. Like I've heard that other schools can be um more competitive and mm-hmm. it's nice that I didn't realize that not all schools have a pass fail system like mm-hmm. we do and mm-hmm. so there's a little bit less of pressure to be super hardcore about studying and things like that and mm-hmm. um, helping other people to succeed as well which is important because the field we're going into is a collaborative one so we need exactly. to exactly it's good to have that early on mm-hmm. um, so I'm curious to know um, are there any specialty interests as of yet that you have in mind <laughs> Um, definitely. I think, I think, uh, <laughs> if I listed them, you could probably guess. <laughs> um, I'm really super interested in, uh, tropical medicine and diseases. Um, I just think that there's a lot that you can see a lot of, you know, it's something new and something interesting. Um, yeah, like Zika's, Zika's blowing up right yeah, now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And some of it's a little bit scary, but at yeah. the same time, like, I, I just, I think that's really exciting. I find it exciting. Well, and we need people like you that are smart that can figure out, like, <laughs> what's wrong and what's causing it and mm-hmm. how do we fix it and how mm-hmm. do we prevent this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So it's an exciting field. Um, plus, my mom, my mom was actually, so she was a medical assistant at uh, Washington University's Center for Infectious, or uh, Clinic for Infectious Disease. And I just, I think that was one thing also that kind of helped to spark my interest in the medical field. Like she would come home with all kinds of crazy stories. Like we're talking like, okay, this guy came in and his pet raccoon 
bit him on the leg and now he has this like crazy thing going on and I'm like oh my gosh <laughs> not at the dinner table mom <laughs> but uh but no I think it, it really helped to kind of spark an interest in that so we've got tropical medicine mm-hmm. um I guess is that is that a subset of infectious disease um yeah it's a subset of infectious disease which is kind of a subset of internal medicine so okay. so yeah so that's the plan but I mean I do want to kind of keep an open mind and, you know, it's kind of good to, to keep an open mind because you never know. I mean, I might fall in love with cardiology or something mm-hmm. like that, but right now, I mean, that's, that's my element. Yeah. Totally makes sense. So let's talk a little bit more about malaria, which is what you specifically research. Mm-hmm. Um, like what is malaria exactly? Okay. Yeah. So malaria is a disease that is characterized by fever, um, chills, uh, joint aches, uh, in, and these are in the more mild cases. And then you can have severe malaria, or which is also sometimes known as cere- cerebral malaria. And during that severity, it can cause um, kids to go into comas, um, and it can be fatal. So, What causes... Like, is there a reason why some people get really, really sick and some people just have a fever? That's exactly kind of what we're looking at uh, starting in Malawi. So the causative agent for malaria is a parasite. Uh, it's usually of the, it's of the plasmodium genus and there's multiple species. Um, the most common is uh, plasmodium falciparum. And that's really what we study in Malawi because that's really most of the cases are falciparum. So yeah, so we're not exactly sure what it is that causes some kids to, you know, just experience mild symptoms and, you know, you can give them, you know, some drugs and they go home and they're totally fine. Whereas others um, develop cerebral malaria or go into a coma within a matter of, you know, a few hours of first experiencing symptoms. And, um, and some of them, you know, don't wake up. And so we're kind of trying to figure out what it is that, what, what is that difference? Is it immune, immune related? Um, is it the strain of, uh, plasmodium species? Is it, yeah. So what is it? Um, so that's one thing that we're kind of investigating. So malaria is like a super broad topic and there are lots of things that you could possibly look into. What is it exactly that you are currently looking at? So basically what we're doing is like each parasite has its own gene, its own genotype. Um, and each one is very, is uh, different from the next. So there are certain genes that you can look at that have what are called SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms. Um, and they're basically just a change in a single base pair of that parasite's DNA um, that is unique to that parasite. And it's something that differs um, a lot between parasites. And so when you have a number of those you can look at, basically it gives you um, a reading or sort of like a, a fingerprint for that parasite. So like if, you know, parasite A and B, they're both the species, I forgot the name of the species already. Plasmodium falciparum. Okay, uh-huh. so if there's two of that species and they have two different SNPs, mm-hmm. they're still the same species, but they have like SNP A and SNP B, is that mm-hmm. correct? Exactly, and it helps you kind of figure out um, individual parasites. And so that can be important for a number of reasons. 
a lot of times when you have a, a disease that's endemic to a population, there are lots of mosquitoes that are infected. There's lots of people that are infected. So a lot of times a person, when they come in with malaria, they usually, sometimes they, they usually don't have just one parasite clone, I guess we call it, or one parasite. Uh, like they could have been infected by multiple parasites? Exactly. Oh. Yeah. So, um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, mosquito A bites them with, and infects them with a plasmodium falciparum uh, strain A. And then um, another mosquito comes by, bites them again, but gives them strain B. Um, and then I guess looking at how those two interact is kind of important. And also um, something that we're kind of looking at maybe being a cause of cerebral malaria or at least uh, contributing to other factors of the disease. Oh, so like if you had like strain A and strain B, those interact in a different way that like, say if you had strain A and strain C, like you would have mm -hmm. a different clinical outcome. Is that exactly. kind I of mean, the idea behind it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's something that is kind of interesting to look at and important to look at. And uh, in order to do that, we have to be able to differentiate between strain A and strain B. And because they're the same species, like we can't do that just by looking at them under the microscope. So that's where genetics come into play. And uh, so we do those analyses to kind of see which, how many strains there are in a, a given sample. Um, sometimes there can be quite a few. Um, <laughs> and then just kind of following those over time just to see like how, how do the clinical correlates interact, like correlate with um, the number of parasite strains that might be in a particular person. So that's, that's, that's one thing that we do. Science. That's so interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I have a question yeah. to back up a second here. Mm -hmm. um, I think most people, when we think of malaria, we think of mosquitoes. What is that mm -hmm. connection or how does that work? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Sorry. Um, yeah. Oh. So mosquitoes are the vector for it. So mosquito lands on infected person A, they take up a blood meal and then go fly over to person B and bite them as well. And then the parasite basically is transferred from person A to person B via the blood uptake of the mosquito. Okay, so they're like the carrier. Exactly, okay. yep. <laughs> cool. I didn't like mosquitoes anyway. Now I like them even less. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's actually, there's this really cool, um, study that's kind of been going on uh they i guess it was a while ago they uh there was there were some researchers on brazil who basically uh raised a bunch of mosquitoes that have a, a suicide gene in them and so when they release these mosquitoes into the environment they just release the males and so the males would go and they'd mate with your wild type females and uh, when they did that, all the offspring that were born would have the suicide gene, so they wouldn't survive. And the female wouldn't be able to reproduce again. So, uh, so it was kind of a way of like wiping out mosquitoes in that area. And they found that the incidences of malaria dropped by like 80% or something like that. So we're kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of a proponent of let's just get rid of the mosquitoes. Yes, <laughs> like nobody too. likes them. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, ecologists sometimes argue like, oh, this is, you know, that's kind of extreme. What if there's, you know, residual effect of like what kind of effects is this can have on our environment? But 
That being said, not that many things to put in. Potato, potato. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody exactly. likes mosquitoes. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think I heard about that on an episode of Radio Lab. Yes. Yes, that exactly. was so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is so cool. Like mm-hmm. science. This is yeah. why. Yeah, this is why your work is so important. Um, even though it's like you hear that, you're like eight years of medical school. What? And then I got to do residency. Like, so for anyone that is um, either like undergraduates or pre meds, people thinking about, ooh, I'm really interested in a dual degree, either a DO PhD or an MD PhD. Like, what advice would you have for those people? Like, you know. How do you mentally prepare yourself to do such an intense program? Even though you guys don't seem like very intense, you guys seem so relaxed somehow. I don't know how you're pulling this off, but like, <laughs> you guys must have time turners. Is that what you do? They give you time turners? That's exactly what it is. <laughs> but shh, we're not supposed to talk about that. You need to borrow that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess my, my biggest piece of advice would just be uh, get to know your interests now and, and make sure that research is something that you want to do because honestly that's the biggest proponent of it. And the the time thing, it can be a little bit daunting at first because it's like, ah, seven or eight years, that's, that's a long time. But when you're doing something that you like to do, the time is going to pass anyway. So whether you're in school or out practicing, if you like being in school and you like conducting research, then um, then maybe an MD PhD or DO PhD program is for you. Yeah, I feel like the past year of med school just like flew by. Mm-hmm. Like next week is orientation for the next class of students, and mm-hmm. I, it just blows my mind. Like mm-hmm. like we were just there. Like what happened? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it, the time really, it does fly by and especially if you're enjoying it, mm-hmm. which, which I really have. That's good to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess, uh, another piece of advice that I'd have, um, is, uh, if you are thinking about doing a dual degree program or something, um, like I said, just make sure that your motives are in the right place. So depending on the program, a lot of them are funded, which is really nice because basically you're kind of getting paid as you go throughout medical school. Um, and there's like tuition breaks and things that really help to make it a lot easier. So I think that's kind of like an attracting point for a lot of students who are gonna do medical school anyway. Um, but I really caution against doing it for the money because the amount of time that you put in if you take that time and say that, okay, if you hadn't spent that time doing research and doing the PhD, if you had just in, done your MD then, or DO, then you would have graduated that much sooner, done residency that much sooner, and been making money that much sooner. So honestly, like at the end of the day, they come out to be pretty much the same. So unless you're like really wanting to use that PhD after you graduate, it might be a waste of time for you unless you are really, really, really committed to research. So I guess that's my other piece of advice. Yeah. And um, as I think most med students can attest to, med school can be really stressful. Sometimes we have like a thousand things to learn for like one exam and it (laughs) seems really overwhelming and you're Mm -hmm. like, this is impossible. My brain can't hold that much information. Like why do I need to know every single side effect of every single drug ever invented on earth? Not really, but it feels like that sometimes. Um, I want to know what sort of things do you do to keep yourself sane when it does get really stressful? Like, do you watch certain shows? Do you work out? Do you make certain foods? Or mm, I really love working out. 
a huge so before I came to MSU um, and when I was back in St. Louis I used to do jujitsu and Muay Thai awesome. so um, <laughs> so that is like a great outlet like when you're stressed <laughs> having a bag <laughs> and a pair of gloves is like the best thing <laughs> best combination you just let it all out <laughs> I agree I do kickboxing it's so necessary and mm-hmm. so cathartic <laughs> that neuro that neuro exam that question <laughs> yeah but um but yeah so that's like one one really big outlet uh another one is just hanging out with friends. Uh, I have roommates that really, they're, they're foodies. <laughs> they love cooking and making food, and I really like eating. So, <laughs> so it works really well, and I enjoy just hanging out with them. Awesome. Do you, are you a, I feel like there's two types of people, and I am mostly <laughs> one. So like people who can um, listen to music and study at the same time, mm-hmm. or people that need like absolute silence. And ninety percent of the time, I'm the second type. Mm-hmm. What are you? One of those types of people? I, I am definitely the second type. Like there, there are people who like, like you said, like can go to coffee shops and like love studying at cafes and stuff. Mm-hmm. I go there and I'm like twenty minutes into it, I'm like, okay, I've finished my coffee and I've gotten through two sentences. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I've heard all the conversations around me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know what that person had for breakfast. <laughs> I know what's going on in that person's marital life. I really didn't want to know. <laughs> now it's like it's time for me to go home and sit in my nice quiet little corner or go to the library or something. Um, but yeah, I definitely like I have to have silence otherwise I just can't focus I'm I get a little too scattered (laughs) yeah me too (laughs) um so what other things are you involved with I know that you're in a couple clubs Mm -hmm. can you tell me about that like school extracurricular activities Mm -hmm. definitely um so one of them is the APSA American Physician Scientist Association shocker (laughs) (laughs) um and there was a conference that we went to uh, last year, and um, so a little bit of traveling involved with that. And this year, we want to do a lot more things that are more local and try to get like students involved with science and especially like translational science and translational medicine, and um, try to kind of stimulate interest in that area. Um, For those people not um, listening that don't know what that means, what is translational medicine and oh, science? Yeah, definitely. So that's basically. Um, kind of a term, umbrella term used for uh, science and research that can be translated or be taken to the bedside. Um, so basically medical research <laughs> in, in a different term, but yeah, medical research. Um, so yeah, so just trying to stimulate interest in that area. Another organization that I'm in is IOMO, which is the International or- Osteopathic Medical Organization. And they're really interested in international work, uh, especially like medical uh, medical mission trips or medical trips abroad, uh, or even more locally. Um, and honestly, that club has so many ideas and we're trying at currently at the moment, kind of trying to uh, see what ideas we should kind of prioritize, but it's, uh, we've talked about all kinds of things, everything from, starting trips to Ghana um, in Africa to uh, to helping out with Syrian refugees uh, locally 
as well as abroad uh, to helping to organize medical crates to send to different parts of the world and stuff. So I don't know, lots of different ideas. Um, well, and like lots of different action things too. Mm -hmm. Like I know like we have so many cool trips that you can do. Um, people already went to um, Costa Rica mm -hmm. over spring break. I know some people went to Merida, Mexico mm -hmm. um, over spring break. And then there's like this huge Peru trip in August. Mm -hmm. um, and just got this email and I was so excited. Um, they're offering this trip to Cuba now. Yes, I've, I've heard a little bit about it. I don't, I don't know that that much. Um, but, I don't either. <laughs> but yeah, this is, yeah, this is one of the, I think we're one of the first medical schools that have been allowed to work and send students to Cuba. So that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, no, I saw that. I was like, that is awesome. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I qualify because I don't speak Spanish mm -hmm. outside of a few food words, mm -hmm. but <laughs> that is so cool. And then I know mm -hmm. that there's a trip to the Dominican Republic, which I'm keeping my eye out for. Mm -hmm. My brother's um, currently living in the Dominican Republic, so it'd be cool to go visit him and also do a medical mission trip there. Um, I'm probably forgetting other ones. And then of course, we had talked about this, or I'd kind of alluded to this earlier, um, the fourth year rotation in Malawi. Mm -hmm. So I can definitely talk a little bit about that. I can say that, so I've been to Malawi a couple of times, uh, first time for a couple of months, the second time for around a month. And uh, both times I went, I just had a really awesome experience. Everybody there is incredibly friendly. They have like three different ways to say, hello, how are you? And one's for the morning, one's for the afternoon, one's for the evening. <laughs> and the, like, they just, everybody stops and they talk and is, you know, everyone's very friendly. Um, and Malawi is just a beautiful country. All kinds of, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables and open markets and uh, things to explore. Uh, the hospital is a very different experience. And uh, it would be, I, I don't know if anyone's interested in, in international medicine, like I think it's good to go and kind of get an idea of like how medical systems are completely different in other countries. Like for example, here we have nurses, nurses go and they take care of the patients. Um, in Malawi, they have nurses, but nurses are not like assigned per patient. Like the patient comes in and they have to have like a guardian with them. And the guardian is the person who distributes their medicine, who feeds them, who uh, bathes them and takes care of them basically. Is this like a family member or um, friend? Yeah, or? Usually, usually it's a family member. Um, if, it's, if they don't have a family, sometimes it's friends. Um, but yeah, and so it's, it's just a very different way of, um, of practicing, I guess, and nurses are there to, to help or like, you know, if you have questions, but the fact of the matter is that like they're severely understaffed. So, you know, you can't have, you know, that there, there's too many demands placed on each nurse to have them be responsible, completely responsible for every patient. So that's where the family and the friends and the guardians come in to play. Um, but there's also, there are a lot of other differences, um, even outside of the hospital, just like ways to get around most of the time you walk, which is kind of nice for exercise. Um, the food is really healthy and, uh, you know, fresh and stuff. Um, and so I find that I actually feel a lot healthier when I get back. And, uh, the weather is really, really super nice. Um, it's very temperate and even though there's no AC or heating, like you don't really need it. Um, and 
As for prophylaxis, oh yeah, you had talked a little bit about prophylaxis and stuff. Um, and I also, I like to sleep under the bed nets. They have bed nets and stuff, so that um, so that helps too. Um, but yeah, but overall, like Malawi is just a beautiful country. And another really fun thing that you can do there uh, is there's a mountain called Mount Mulanji, and you can go hiking, you can go on day trips. There's like a waterfall there which is really pretty. Uh, or you can also hike all the way to the top um, and spend the night and it's literally like above the clouds. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, so even though it is like a tropical country, if you're planning on going mountain climbing, take warm things. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, there's always uh, fun adventures and so many things to learn and, and do. So I, I really highly recommend it. So um, I imagine that life in Malawi is very different than life here in Michigan <laughs> or anywhere in the U.S. or anywhere really in what we'd call developed countries. Um, mm -hmm. First of all, is there like a language issue? Like what language is primarily spoken in Malawi? And do you have any, did you ever experience any issues communicating with people? Yeah, so the main language or one of the main languages spoken in Malawi is Chichewa. And, uh, but they also speak English, um, but it depends on where you go. So Blantyre, Malawi is, a, I think it's the second largest city in Malawi and it's fairly industrial. And um, that's where the hospital is and the lab that I work in um, and students go to rotate. So because it's a little bit more industrial um, and there's more schools and hospitals, and like most of the people uh, speak English to a certain degree. And so it's usually not like a huge problem. Um, when you go to the market, it might be a little bit, but honestly, like it's not, it's not too, too hard to, you know, figure out a few words and communicate. And honestly, like a smile is pretty universal. Um, but when you start going out into like some of the smaller villages, it definitely becomes a, a big problem. And, um, there are communication barriers and stuff. And there's also, you know, cultural things that you have to kind of be aware of and respect, but yeah, but overall it wasn't like a huge, huge issue. Awesome. So I believe your advisor is Dr. Carl Seidel. Yes. Yeah. And he's, he's awesome. He taught <laughs> us, um, he did our parasite lectures in mm -hmm. micro, mm -hmm. <clears throat> microbiology. Is that the name of the class? We, we always like shorten every class name. So I don't even, I don't even know what the official names are. Um, mm -hmm. so microbiology, mm -hmm. <laughs> he yep. did our lectures on parasites, very popular. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember him talking a little bit about some of the bugs, parasites, different things that can happen when students stay in uh, Malawi for the rotations. Like I remember a horror story about like, uh, what was it, like a bot fly or some sort of fly coming out of someone's skin of their buttocks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> did you ever have any like really terrifying experiences <laughs> oh, or did you know anyone that did? <laughs> like, uh, I'm terrified of bugs. <laughs> I guess this kind of interests me. <laughs> uh, thankfully, not, not, no, <laughs> not, not too, uh, not too crazy, not too crazy like that. Um, there is, so one of the things that I would really highly, highly suggest doing if you ever do go to Malawi is visit Lake Malawi. Like it's just absolutely beautiful and be like, it's, it's beautiful. It's like Hawaii, but less touristy. <laughs> um, and there's all kinds of like tropical fish in the lake. That's actually where a lot of like, when you see pet store fish, they actually, a lot of them come from Lake Malawi. Hmm. Um, so they have a lot of tropical fish and you can do snorkeling and stuff. 
Um, but <laughs> the only thing is when you when you go home, you do have to take um, you do have to take your quasiquine because there either there's schistosomiasis in the lake. So um, so yeah, so that's. But honestly, I mean, like I said, I, you go back, you take a couple doses of that, and you're fine. Okay. And I do remember being completely horrified by um, pictures of schistosomiasis in our course <laughs> <Yes>. tech and in <laughs> lecture. Um, I'm not a big fan of worms or wormy type things or things that could live inside you as parasites. Um, so yeah, if you want to be really super grossed out, I guess you could Google image some pictures of schistosomiasis. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, but I don't know, honestly, the lake was, was definitely worth it to me. And like I said, one, one time treatment, you're fine. Awesome. Yeah. And then, um, speaking of that, what sorts of prophylactic shots and medications did you have to, did you have to take a lot? Are these optional? Um, honestly, I didn't have to take too many. I had a yellow fever vaccine. Uh, I'm honestly not entirely sure if I know that was required because I'd just gone to Zambia. Um, so it was required for Zambia. I don't remember if it was required for Malawi, but I would probably do it anyway, just in case. Um, so yeah, so yellow fever vaccine. There are like, I think there's a malaria vaccine that you can take, but I don't think it's super, super effective. Um, prophylactic treatments. A lot of people do malarone, which supposedly I've heard gives you really, really crazy dreams. <laughs> <laughs> like it just takes whatever dreams you have and just like makes them very, very vivid and stuff. So, um, so I've heard some pretty crazy things from that, but, uh, I usually do, I think I did chloroquine or something. I think. I think I remember Dr. Seidel talking about the crazy dreams in yes. lecture. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I kind of like try to, try to avoid that one. Um, what kinds of food do you eat in Malawi? Uh, you, oh my gosh, I wish I could have a picture or show you guys. Uh, I love avocados. They're like one of my favorite foods ever. And the avocados in Malawi are huge. Like if you can think of like an eggplant, like the average size <laughs> of an eggplant. No, I'm totally serious. The average size of an eggplant is about the size of their avocados. They're absolutely huge like i make a lunch out of half an avocado <laughs> that sounds amazing <laughs> it's awesome <laughs> um and then they have like fresh bananas but their bananas are really small and tiny and they're very sweet um and apples and tons of just like fresh fruits and fresh vegetables and um meat and everything is just like very very fresh so one of the staple foods in malawi is called sima and it's like a very very fine cornmeal and you add like boiling water and you, so you're kind of like, if you've ever had like cream of wheat or something like that. So it's kind of like that, but then you just keep pouring in the cornmeal until it gets like really, really thick and really hard to stir. And then once it reaches that point, you can kind of like take it out and you spoon it into like patties and let them cool. And then those patties are what they use to like um, pick up, they use their, their fingers and they use that to like pick up um, greens or meats or whatever else is on the plate but that's like their side or like like their main main dish um or main staple food um i wasn't a huge huge fan but uh but a lot of people there eat that so um i would definitely like suggest at least trying it once um just to say that you've tried it so but yeah but lots of different things um some things that i would not recommend trying too my son sticks kind of thing. What? 
<laughs> my son sticks. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I that mm, no. Yeah, no. I can't like if you didn't tell me and you gave me some meat that mm -hmm. was like I don't know, inside a dumpling or something, I might eat it. But like, mm -hmm. if I can see it and see what it looked like, mm -hmm. and it's not like a turkey or something, mm -hmm. I don't know, people in Korea eat um, silkworm larvae, and I just like, just the sight wow. of it is just so terrifying to me. I'm just like <laughs> running in the other direction. <laughs> yeah. If I saw my son a kebab, no mm -hmm. thank you. Yep, exactly. So so be wary, the, the man on the side of the road with sticks, <laughs> with meat on sticks, be wary. <laughs> But yeah, but there there really is uh, so many things to explore, and it's a beautiful country. That's so cool that we have that opportunity to do a rotation. Mm -hmm. through. And I feel like MSUCOM like really has a lot of those kinds of opportunities. Yeah, I feel like I'm still learning about more of the mission trips that we can go on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that about wraps it up for us. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. I had a lot of fun, as always. <laughs> me too. Thank we you We had a lot so of fun much. together. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, so, uh, taking us out on this episode, the song that we heard as the intro, it's by Chris Bathgate. It's called Big Ghost from his Old Factory EP, uh, which just came out this year. I'm super excited because he was on a hiatus for like five years or something. So glad he's back. Just want to give a big shout out. Thanks to Chris Bathgate. Um, himself, the artist, and Brian Peters at Quite Scientific Records for permission to use the music. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Preclerkship Podcast. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> my heart is pumping. What's my location? What was I thinking? Because I got a big ghost. A static in my throat From coming up too short Push with the flat iron, from pumping the flat line.